Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. We've been talking about Give last Sunday, and like I said, Pastor Bruce kind of opened that series uh, with us, and, and he... He spoke on that subject, and I'm going to reflect on that in just a moment of some of the things that he said. But before we do, I want to mention that last Sunday was also our Big Give Sunday. And, and, uh, and so with our Big Give Sunday, that was the sixth time. And so one Sunday every year for the last now six years, we've uh, asked and we've, we've partnered together to give a one-time offering that would help go against the repayment of our mortgage. And many of you know this, but for those of you who don't know, this is what we've been doing. We've, we've just called it the big give. And we ask people above and beyond you know, what they're giving and supporting the church with that you would prayerfully consider helping us to do this because we feel, and we felt as a leadership and the board and, and others that, that when we are alleviated of, of this current debt and whatnot, maybe God has a plan for the future and we just don't want to be held back by any of that. And so we, we feel that by, the, by taking this big give offering, we are investing in our future and what God has for us as a church. Because of your generosity over the last number of years, right up until last Sunday, in five offerings, five one-time offerings, you had given some $202,000 against the repayment of the mortgage, removing essentially about a three and a half year time period off paying that debt off. Amazing. And this past Sunday, we did it again, and, and right up until this Friday, we've kind of been, been tracking it a little bit. And I just want to say a huge, huge thank you and, and to all of us who've contributed to this again this year. We can say a huge thank you because last Sunday and, and toward designated toward this big give offering, we know that you have given this amount, wherever it is. Here it is, $31,586.04. So I think God deserves praise, and you deserve a thank you for your investment. Incredible, incredible. And so, I, I'm, I'm just going to say it, but don't feel any pull or anything. Some of you weren't here last Sunday, and, uh, and, and you, you maybe thought about it. Oh, yeah, I meant to give to that. Well, after today, we're probably going to take down the category off our online giving, and, and, and we'll kind of clue it up. But if for some reason you wanted to contribute to that particular offering, uh, you can do that today, or, or when you go home, if you want to do it online, you can do that as well. But thank you. Like I said, uh, we're amazed, and, and I think we're approaching now about four plus years removed from uh, the, the repayment. And so at this rate, uh, by mid-next year, we will essentially be debt-free if we just make our monthly payment. So thank you. Uh, so that's where we are. And, and like I said, last week, Pastor Bruce spoke a message on giving and talked about giving from a biblical perspective. And, and he gave somewhat of an overview, I think, almost like a biblical overview of the biblical principles of giving. And so we, we journeyed through that message last Sunday, and I know if you were here, there was a lot of things touched on, but of course, there were a number of things that he said that stood out to me and, and things that I took note of. And at the heart of the message last week was the fact that this, that it's never about the amount that's in our hands. It's about the condition of our hearts. When we're talking about giving, when we talk this message of giving, it's not about how much or how little that you may or may not have. It's not that you've got to give that, something that you can't physically give because someone else can. It's, it's nothing to do with, with an amount. It's not talking about the amount, but we're talking about the condition of our hearts when it comes to giving and where we are in that regard. That God's motivation isn't that he wants your money. That's not God's motivation, but, the God, but God's motivation is the fact that he wants you. He wants your heart. 
And he wants my heart. And so that's kind of what we've been looking at. And of course, there were a number of things that, that were said that kind of stood out. And, uh, and that was, that was one, one piece there. And, and Pastor Bruce also uh, just made the point. And isn't it true that, you know, when, when you have a generous church filled with generous people, you can have a huge impact? I think when a body comes together like this and, and give as you have given in the past, and, and I've been here for just under six years, and, and in my time here alone, I have seen some incredible things done because of the generous people and the generous giving that has taken place here. And because of that, we can have a huge impact in the lives of other people, in our community, for the glory of God. And we've seen that through our Nights of Generosity through our, our, our children's programs, our youth and young adult programming, we see growth in those areas. You know, we can celebrate together when we see uh, all of that happening, when we see lives change because of baptism. None of this is possible. This, the ministry of this church is not possible without the contribution and financial support of those who give. Everything that we do as a church, as Pastor Bruce said, is, is because it's fully funded by those who invest in what God is doing through this church. And so thank you for what you've done. And we just want to continue to have greater impact, greater influence in our community, not for our glory, not so we can build the name of Bethesda, but it's about building the name of Jesus. And it's about showing people that there's a God who loves them and cares for them and has given uh, them a gift that they can have for themselves, and that is salvation through Christ. Amen? And so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've been, been doing as you continue to, to give. It's always been interesting that Jesus taught something like 35, some people would maybe count 38, depending on how you count and see different parables in scripture. Either way, 35 plus parables. And the parables are, of course, times when Jesus taught using stories or examples or illustrations of, of what the kingdom of God is and what it looks like and how we're supposed to live in the meantime. And he told 35 or more of these, these examples in scripture that we can find. And out of those 35, 16 were about money and possessions. 16, he actually, Jesus taught more about money and possessions than he did about heaven. It's, it's quite interesting when you look at that and you think about that for a little while because I think he knew something and he was getting at something. You see, if Jesus spoke on this topic so often, there must have been a reason why he done so. There must have been, been a reason why he, he was so, uh, uh, I guess, concerned with talking about this, this topic. And, and, and the, the funny thing is that he spoke about money so much and possessions, but he never once asked for money. Ever. There was one time actually he asked for a coin and he just wanted to use it as an illustration to show something that he was teaching. And as far as we know, he gave that right back. So Jesus spoke about money. He knows it's an important topic for us to talk about and for us to consider. But he himself wasn't the one who had been asking for any of it. But he was asking. He wasn't after money. He was after our hearts. We asked the question last week, who or what is first in your life? It was a conversation about priority. What, what's priority? What is Lord of your life? And we're going to expand on that in a moment. But who or what is first in your life? There will always be a tension. Not attention. There will always be tension in our lives when it comes to this. There's a tension for us to put something or someone ahead of what should be priority in our lives. We'll always have this tension there will always be this competition for our hearts. There will be a competition for our attention. There will be, you know, as many of you already know that there are things, there are things that pull on our hearts and our emotions and our desires and often things, the things that are, oftentimes the things that are pulling us in these directions are things that are, are damaging to us if we're not careful, who are, who are fighting for our hearts or fighting for our, our desires. And oftentimes, like I said, it could be damaging. And this is why the Apostle Paul, who's much smarter than I am, 
much more brilliant than me. He wrote so many letters to different churches and planted so many churches. Uh, and he, of course, if you know the story of Paul, he once hated Christians. He hated Christians and he even was a part of killing Christians, but he himself became a Christian because of a, an incredible experience he had. And you can't deny the fact that, that, that he had a transformation experience. And when he did, he became one of the most influential writers and, and leaders in the early church. And he wrote it this way. He, he knew about this tension that we face. And so he wrote in Galatians 5, 16, he says this. He says, so I say, walk by the, everyone, what's that word? Spirit. Walk by the spirit. And, and when he says this, this is simply saying, in my, my kind of description of it, is that, that the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you're following Christ, if, if you're not a follower, this might not mean much to you right now, but if you're a follower of Christ, you may know what I mean. If you're a follower of Christ, God or the Holy Spirit will nudge you from time to time in your conscience. He will, he will nudge you from time to time in things, and maybe there's things that never bothered you before, and all of a sudden there's things that bother you now, and maybe that bothers you. But, but he will nudge you in ways and, and push you in ways. And, here's the, and that's the direction of the Holy Spirit. Well, he'll begin to nudge you. And the outcome of the Spirit nudging you is, is this. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. A couple of verses down, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So the outcome, when it comes to that Holy Spirit nudge, the fruit of the Spirit actually is the outcome of saying yes to that internal nudge. If you feel the Spirit walking by the Spirit, if you feel the Spirit nudging you, chances are he's nudging you toward the fruit of the Spirit in some way, shape, or form. And of course, uh, as, as we see this, and, and the fruit of the Spirit, by the way, that's the stuff that you want, and you can go back for a second, that's the stuff you want for everyone around you. You want more of the fruit of the Spirit in the life of your, your son or your daughter. You want them to have more of the fruit of the Spirit. You want your spouse to have more of the fruit of the Spirit. You want your boss to have more of the fruit of the Spirit, right? You want your neighbor and your friends to have more fruit of the Spirit in their lives. I guess the same can be said that they probably want, if they knew, they probably want more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life too, in my life. And the truth is, the heaven, your heavenly Father, he wants you to have more fruit in your life. And so, of course, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And a word I want to talk about for a moment is self-control. Self-control. You see, the Holy Spirit is going to nudge you towards self-control in all things. His nudge, walking by the Spirit, will always nudge you in the area or in the direction of being more self-awareness and have more self-control. The reason is because all of these things on this list are, are always at war with our internal appetites, our natural appetites in life, including the appetite for more stuff, more things, more possessions, and that can be one of our appetites of many different things, and, and, and also the appetite that, that we have more security in the things that we think come from more money and more possessions. That's one of the, the appetites. And we shouldn't be surprised that God, who loves you, would nudge us towards self-control. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Well, why? Well, first of all, first of all, it has nothing to do with wanting, not wanting you to have things or possessions. That's not what God's intention is. It has nothing to do with, with you not having anything or not building anything or not owning anything. That's not the intention. and That's not what I'm saying and that's not what the scripture teaches. That's not the fact at all. So make sure you don't misunderstand or misinterpret that. But it's because that he knows what we know if we're to be honest. And I love how Andy Stanley puts this and he puts it this way and it's so true that no one wants to be mastered by an appetite. Let me explain that, but, but he says nobody wants to be mastered by an appetite. An appetite 
that at first was just meant to be a pastime. It was just meant to be something, you know, a pastime for me. But all of a sudden, that pastime became a pathway, and it led me down a road that I never wanted to go down. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm giving my resources, I'm doing things, I'm investing myself in an area that I never wanted to go down. And so if we're not careful, we, can, we, can, we, we don't, we don't want to be mastered by an appetite for something. We don't want to be that. And God doesn't want that for you either. And Pastor Bruce said this last Sunday, and it's so true when you think about it. The fact of the, the, matter, uh, the, fact of the matter that money or possessions or things is God's main competition for our hearts. It's one of the main competitions for our hearts. When you study it, when you read about it in scripture, when you look at it, why Jesus uh, used 16 parables out of 35 to talk about money and possession is because he knew that this was the main competition for our hearts. And I'll explain that a little bit more in a, mo in a moment. But for a few moments, I'd like for us to take a look at a text in, in, in Matthew chapter six. And when you go to this text um, that we're gonna look at in a second, uh, this, this is in context with what we're talking about when it comes to money, having possessions, having things, being dependent on that, and maybe feeding the wrong appetites. This is what this, the context of the scripture is. And, and Jesus says this, and, and he puts it this way. He says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. And that word masters here is from the Greek word kurios, kurios which is basically the definition is one who is in charge by virtue of ownership. So many times in the New Testament, that same word, kurios, that same word is used throughout scripture many, many times. And, and sometimes it says masters. Other times it, it, it's translated in English as the word Lord. Lord. You, no one can serve two lords or no one can serve two masters. And Jesus continues. He says, you have two choices. He goes on to say this. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. I find this very interesting because if you, if you had never seen this statement before, if you had never read this from scripture before, and if that word wasn't there, it was just a blank. If, if you were contrasting this thought and, and someone, said, someone began to say, you know, you can't serve both God and, I don't know if any of us would think to put money in there. We might say, the devil, <laughs> you know, what's contrasting God and the devil, so, so nobody can serve both God and the devil. You know, we might put that in there. Somebody might say, well, we can't serve both God and, and yourself. You can't be so, you know, self-absorbed, and so, so you need to, you know, maybe I'll put the word yourself in there. So nobody would really expect uh, this to be there, and the interesting thing is, it's there. And here's an interesting thing, like I said a moment, of, a moment ago, Jesus viewed money Along with the quest of it, he, he viewed money and, and the quest of more as the biggest competitor for your heart and devotion. And his question to me and his question to you might look something like this. He, he might ask us, you know, do you have money or does money have you? Do you have money or does money have you? You and, you, and you might be thinking, well, pastor, well, my money doesn't have me. And you might say right away, well, it doesn't have me because I don't have enough of it to have me. <laughs> if there was a test that I could sign up for where I would have more so I could test to see if I'm good with it or not, I would take that test. 
Or if there's stress in the way we handle money, well, well, I'd like to see how stressed I would become. Or, but you might be saying, well, it doesn't have me because I don't have enough of it to have me. But the truth is, the truth is, it has nothing to do with the amount, but the truth is, everyone, that includes you and me and all of us together, we're all in this, everyone is at risk of making money or possessions, money, their, their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern. Just think about that for a second. Everyone is at risk of making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern, which makes it their ultimate, which makes it their ultimate. It makes it their Lord, their master. I want you to think about this for a moment. I was pondering this earlier this week as as I was preparing. And as I was pondering, I thought it might be valuable to share this thought with you. And just, just think about this for a second. If you're anything like me, think of how much easier it is for you to trust Jesus with your sin, okay? You know, oh, Lord, I've done it again. God, will you forgive me? Will you, will you just remove, just, just forgive my sin? Will you, will you just forgive me, forgive me, before, forgive me? Or maybe you're driving in your car and you're like, I can't believe I did that again. I don't want him to find out. And so God, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And so, so quickly we'll turn to God and we'll, we'll ask God forgiveness. And so quickly and easily we'll trust God with our sin. We trust God with the fact that he listens and he understands and, and he can take our sin. And maybe for you, you're not even sure if there's a personal God. So you have a prayer and maybe you just say, to whom it may concern. I, need, I just need forgiveness. I need to know I'm okay. And, and, I, and when you pray, sometimes you wait and, and you pray these big prayers from time to time and that's kind of where it all comes together or maybe you pray all the time. Whatever the fact is for you. It's, it's, it's interesting how we can take our sin and our failures and we can trust him for forgiveness. We can trust that there's a God that will forgive us. Many of you do that. Many of us do that. Isn't it how interesting how easily we take our sorrows to God? Not just our sin, but we take our sorrows to God. You pray, you know, God, I'm so lonely. We bring that to God. God I, God, I need you. God, I don't know what to do. God, my heart is so broken. God, I need you right now. God, God, you know the news that I just received, and I don't know how I'm going to navigate this, God. You know, and, and so easily that we'll, and so quickly, it's interesting how we can so easily bring our sorrows to God. Most of you probably like me. A lot of you, like me, at at some point in your life, you've probably trusted your eternity to God. You put your eternity to God in God's hands, and you said maybe you prayed a prayer, but at some point you made a decision and prayed God forgive you, and because, you know, well, when this life ends and and when I go into the next life, well, I want to make sure I'm on the good side of eternity, and so you've entrusted, you've trusted God with your eternity, So we can give God our sin so very easily, God forgive me. We'll be so quick and easy to give God our sorrows, God I need you. God I don't know how I can carry this, God will you take this? We trust him with that. And for many of us, you know, you can trust your attorney, God I know one day I'm gonna spend eternity with you, I trust you. I trust that one day I'll see you face to face. We can do all of that, but isn't it interesting how hard it is for us to give God our things and our money and our possessions? I don't know about you, I thought that was interesting. That we're so quick to trust him with everything else except my stuff, that we think is our stuff. But if we had the right perspective, we know that all that we have comes from God. It's all his. We're just managers of it. We're not owners. We're managers of it. 
But it's interesting, and when we talk about this, this is why Jesus was so brilliant. He knew that the chief competitor for our hearts was money and possession. And again, I want to just say, it wasn't about how much you have or how, how much you don't have or anything to do with that. It's not about the amount. He even, he's not asking for that at all. He wants your heart and he wants my heart. And that's why he's so clear in his teaching that if you haven't surrendered, and, and this part might hurt a little bit. It might hurt a little bit for some of us because this is what Jesus taught us, though, and I don't want to avoid having this, making this statement because it's what he taught us. It's important for us to let this sink in, that if you haven't surrendered what you have, you haven't really surrendered. Hmm. If you haven't surrendered the things you have, well, then you haven't really sur- surrendered at all, at all. If you haven't given him access to what you have, he doesn't have access to you. You've opted for the lesser master. And Jesus addresses this head on. Jesus addresses this this tension that some of us even are feeling right now. In terms, and he, 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 he talks about in terms we can all understand. He says this isn't about either or, but it's about priorities. And so let me explain. So Jesus is still making, he's still talking, sorry, about possessions and money in this verse that we're gonna look at in a moment that's so familiar. So the context is the same. He's still talking about the things that you have and the things that you own, uh, that, that you have and, and, and your possessions. And if you want to get this right, he says, Jesus says, if you really want me to be the Lord, if you want me to be the master, if you don't wanna be driven by your unhealthy desires, here's the way forward. And this is what he says. He says, but seek first. Seek first. I want to tell you that the key to keeping the pursuit of more or the infatuation with better, to keep that out of the driver's seat of your life, is to prioritize something else or someone else. Seek first. The way forward, the key to keeping the pursuit of more or even the concern of of not having enough or wanting more, the key to keeping that out of the driver's seat of your life is to prioritize something else over it. So Jesus says, if you want to be free, if you want to live a different kind of life, if you want to find control over your self-control so that the lack of self-control, especially in the areas of finances, doesn't control you, he says, this is what I want you to do. He says, I want you to seek first. The kingdom of God. Next verse. Or same verse. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first my father's kingdom, which is an other's first kingdom. Jesus, who fearlessly and courageously put other people first, always, you watch his life and ministry, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, look how Jesus always put people first, said, I want you to walk in that kind of kingdom. I want you to operate with that kind of priority system, and something's gonna have to go first, but that something, it can't be you. You don't go first. This is what he taught. And I know, I know it sounds, he might be saying, you know, I know this sounds like opposite of everything you've ever heard or everything you've ever learned, but if you will find, if you will do this, you will find more peace, more joy, more purpose, and more meaning in your life. Let me just try to describe this scene with you. Jesus is walking down the road and his disciples, his 12 apostles are with him. And many other people are following behind and they're on the way to Jerusalem. 
Okay? And so as Jesus is walking to Jerusalem, he knows that he's about to be arrested and he knows he's about to be crucified. He knows this is about to unfold and he knows all of that. But while they're journeying, he notices some of the disciples around him or behind him are starting to argue over who's gonna be number two and number three. They're, they're, they're arguing, they're bickering, they're saying, you know, well, well obviously Jesus is gonna be first, but who's gonna be, who's gonna be number two? Who's gonna be number three when we get there? Because they're on the way to Jerusalem and what the disciples still thought is that when they go to Jerusalem, that Jesus is gonna just come out as this king and he's gonna overthrow the Roman Empire and he's gonna be their savior and he's gonna set up his kingdom and they're just thinking, if he's number one, I wanna be close to him because people who are close to the king, they get number two, they get number three. Who's gonna sit at his right hand? Who's gonna sit on his left? And Jesus hears this going on, and he stops, and he takes his 12, and he, he sends the crowds away. He says, okay, guys, teaching moment. <laughs> and he looks at them, and he starts teaching them. He says, that's not how it works in my father's kingdom. That's not how this works. That's not how this thing works. He said, and he asked him this question. He says, do you want to be great? You know, Peter, do you, do you want to be great? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'd love to be great. Yeah. John, do you want to be great? I'd love, I'd, love, I'd love to be great. You know. How about you? Matthew, do you want to be great? Yeah, yeah. We all want to be great. You know. He says, if you want to be great, you have to serve everyone else. That's how this kingdom works. You have to serve each other. That's how this kingdom works. He said, the kingdom, my kingdom, my father's kingdom is not like a kingdom of this world where the person at the top leverages their power to the detriment of everyone else. But then Jesus, he, he says this, he says, that's not the type of kingdom and that's not who you are. He says, he says, that's what everyone else does. But he says, not so with you, not so with you, because that's not the way it works in my father's kingdom. If you want to be great in my father's kingdom, you need to flip the script and you need to serve. And then he finishes with this, and this kind of seals his point, drives it home, and they couldn't really say anything after this. He says, even the Son of Man, talking about himself, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm thinking at that point they went, ooh, wow. Let's go. Come on, let's follow. So they continue toward Jerusalem, and not long later, they're gathered around an evening meal, and Jesus further enforces his point of what he's trying to say. When, when they're gathered around the meal, and they just got there, and they're the 12 apostles, they might think they're, you know, we're the big shots, we're with Jesus, they're sitting around the table, and all of a sudden they look, and Jesus is taking off his rabbinic robe, and he's tying, tying a, a towel around his waist, and he comes over, and they're like, oh, we, for, we forgot to clean our feet, we forgot, who's gonna, who's gonna do this? And Jesus kneels. And Jesus begins to further push his point that no one's above the master when he starts to wash the feet of his disciples. And no doubt this took some time because 12 sets of feet take a while to wash. And so he washes his disciples' feet. And when he's done, he goes and he puts his robe back on, sits with them. And he says to them, and he says to you, and he says to me, he says, you call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, because that's who I am. And now that your Lord has washed your feet, he says, you are to wash each other's feet. In other words, what he was saying was, I have set an example for you because the servant is never greater than the master. And if you're gonna be a part of my kingdom, you are joining an other's first kingdom. And not long later, 
They watched Jesus, their king, die on a cross and give his life for his subjects. He gave his life for everyone. Hmm. And he invites you and he invites us and he says, join my kingdom. Join the way I see people. Put others first. But I want you to understand as well that this isn't too, this isn't others in exclusion of you. God still knows you. He still cares for you. I mean, you know, you got bills to pay. You got tuition to figure out. You haven't had a job for a couple months. You're trying to figure out how you can get a new job because you have to catch up and and I I got things to do and I got bills to pay. And he understands all of that. He knows. He understands. Again, this is not about what you may or may not have in money or possessions. That's not the heart of this message. It's about your heart. He understands all of that. And he continues to say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Yeah, I know you got this. I, I, I know you have the care for that. I know you need to live by doing this. I know you have children to support. I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. He says, all these things, they're going to be given to you as well. They're going to be given to you as well. This is not an either or. It's simply a one and a two. It's order. It's priority. That's what we're talking about. Because somebody's kingdom has to come first. And your heavenly father has joined you. And he's, he's, he's invited me, sorry, and he's invited you to join this other's first kingdom. And here's the thing. Jesus knew what some of you already discovered. And maybe you've already discovered this. And if you have, chances are you're probably you know, at least 30 plus years old because it takes time to learn some of these lessons. But maybe you've discovered this, that when we put us first, we oftentimes come in last anyway, right? When you put you first, oftentimes you'll come in last or you'll be left alone in the end. Because when you put you first, you have a difficult time saying no to you, right? When I put me first, it's difficult for me to say no to me. Because in the moment, you know, I think, and if you're not careful, you'll no, you know, you'll no longer be mastered by you because first you think I have it in control, I'm in control. But if you're not careful, you will be mastered by an appetite or, 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 or some appetites that, that no one wants to be mastered by. Because like we said earlier, nobody wants to be mastered by an appetite. And your heavenly father doesn't want you to be either. Why? Because you're a created being and you're created to seek first your creator. And when things get out of order, our lives become disordered. So what do we do? What do we do? The good news is Jesus already told us. He said that we have to put something else or someone else ahead of us. We have to put in a practical, tangible way other people ahead of us. We have to flip the script on this. You see, this is what we've all been born into, right? This is, this is what we've kind of all been born, born into, and, and that is with everything that I have, with what I earn, with the money I have and the possessions I have, well, first of all, I'm going to live, and then I'm going I'm, I'm to save, I'm going to put some away for later, and then if there's anything left, I'll, if there's anything left, I'll give, right? And that's, that's, that's a lot of people have this, this order of priority, and that's the whole me first living. It's like me first living with a little bit of leftover giving, <laughs> In the end. But Jesus is saying, you know, everybody does this. This is how the world, this is how everybody chooses. A lot of people choose to, to live. They say, you know, live, save, and maybe give if I have anything left at the end. And, and I think if, if this life were your only life, and when this life ends, that was the, the end, when I would say, well, probably that probably makes sense. 
But if you're a follower of Jesus like I am, and if you believe in, in his kingdom and you believe what God is doing, you believe in life eternal and all of these things, and it all comes into perspective, then, then, then what it's saying is we need to turn and we need to flip the script on this. And secondly, this is what he says. He says, you need to, to give. That has to be your priority. It's the other's first giving. It's the priority. It's, it's the principle of the first. It's first I'm going to give. First I'm going to make up my mind in, in a way that, that I give in a tangible way. And then I'm going to save. And then I'm going to live off what's there. I'm going to learn to live within my means. But I'm not going to live without, and at the same time live with ignoring the fact that I, I should be giving. I should be a part of someone else's story. This is, if you really, I wish I had more time and maybe in a different approach to, to really unpack this because I, I found this was so powerful. The, the whole others first living as opposed to me first living is so important to understand. And it's the principle of the first. It's the principle of, of first. But if you, if you believe what Jesus taught, then the wisest thing you can do is this, is this on the right, to prioritize that. Prioritize something else over yourself. Because this here is tangible evidence. If you live like this, that is tangible evidence that Jesus is Lord of your life. That's a tangible evidence that you're not mastered by your things, you're not mastered by money, but you're Lord. God is your Lord, and he's your master. And you trust him with everything. You don't only really trust him with your sin, you don't only trust him with your sorrows, you don't only trust him with your eternity, but you trust him with everything you have. That's what Jesus is getting at. And you might not believe this if you've never tried this or if you've never lived this out. If you've never experienced it, you might not believe it, but I promise you, and, and I don't say those things too often, but I believe in Scripture, the principles of Scripture, and I believe God's Word when He says, test me in this. If you give your first and then live this way, It'll ultimately lead to a deeper, richer, stronger faith and confidence in your heavenly father. I believe that. And I've seen it in our own life. I've seen it in so many, the lives of so many others. As the team comes back, and I bring this to a close in a, in a moment, this part of my message, I say, when you put him first in a tangible way, and when I say that in a tangible way, uh, it's in a way that's measurable, in a way that initially feels like it's costing something. You know, of course, Pastor Bruce taught last week the biblical principle of tithing. And for some of you, that's a brand new concept. You've never even knew about that or learned about it before, and that's something you need to, to study and understand for yourself. But it, the fact is that we would take our, our first and our, our, our first percentage, our first tenth, and give it to God in some way that's meaningful. And we give to others and give to certain causes and needs and to others in our community. It's going to feel like it's costing you something. But when you know that he's truly your Lord, this is how you know. Because in order to know he's truly your Lord, in order for you to know he's truly your Lord, is that I'm putting someone or something ahead of myself. I'm saying no to me in order to say yes to him. And everything begins to change. Jesus was so clear. The evidence of our devotion to God is our willingness to put him or others first in the area of our money and our possessions because until we surrender all we have to him, he would say, are you really surrendered? It's not about just including them, but to put him and others first. And that's the principle of the first that I just spoke about. And it's so important for us to consider this in our lives. Jesus set the ultimate, ultimate example for us. 
And like I spoke about a moment ago, uh, he set the ultimate example of generosity and what it means to serve and to give because he actually gave it all in the fact that he gave his life. And, he, and like he said a moment ago to his disciples, he says, just as the son of man, Jesus, just as I, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. I came to serve and to give my life for a ransom for many. That there was the ultimate act of generosity. And that's why we value generosity here because God's incredible generosity, we want to be generous toward others. He set the example for us. And when we talk about God's generosity and look to him and, and know that he's generous in so many ways, I want to remind us this morning that we serve a generous God. I want you to hear this. We serve a generous God whose grace and mercy perfectly positions us in his unfathomable, unfathomable loving care. I want to say that again. His grace and his mercy. He loved us so. He was so generous with his grace and mercy that he positions us in his loving care. And we say, I say unfathomable because unfathomable I can't even measure the love of God that he has for you and for me. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.